0: Hello, this is Joe and TJ, and we are the Schoolhouse 302, and we want to welcome you back to Focus Ed for season four. We are truly excited. Focus Ed is a collaborative project with the University of Delaware, the Delaware Department of Education, and the two of us, Joe and TJ, at the Schoolhouse 302. TJ. TJ. Tell our audience a bit more about Focus Ed. Absolutely. Focus Ed is a
1: podcast that gets recorded with a live audience. We do 14 episodes every season. We're in season four, but you can find season one, two, and three on our site at theschoolhouse302.com. It's a professional development experience for anyone who wants to attend. And then we blast it out from our site. We interview great leaders, authors of popular books, and experts in teaching, learning, and leading so that You can lead better and grow faster in your school or district.
0: Thank you for listening to Focus Ed, and we hope you'll join us live. Welcome, everyone, to Focus Ed, where we invite expert guests to join us. In this episode, we have Dwight Carter with a focus on the incredibly important topic school culture. Specifically, we are going to dive into what it means to be. Great. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Dr. Carter?
1: Dwight Carter is a nationally recognized school leader from central Ohio and has been an educator for 27 years. He's currently the director of student support systems for the Eastland Fairfield Career and Technical School District. We know Joe loves that. We're gonna name just a few of his accolades and awards. He was inducted into the Jostens Renaissance Educator Hall of Fame. We were talking to him about that great conference. He was named the National Association of Secondary School Principals Digital Principal of the Year. He was an Academy of Arts and Science Education High School Principal of the Year. In 2015, he was Ohio Alliance of Black School Educators Principal of the Year. And in 2021, he's the Columbus Afrocentric Early College Sankofa Emerging Leader Award winner. He's a co-author of four books now. His recent book that we're going to talk about, he's the solo author on, his co-author of What's in Your Space? Five Steps to Better School and Classroom Design, Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, How to Survive Hyper Change, and then a second edition of that book, Leading School in Disruptive Times, which he's been on our show, Leading Better and Growing Faster, to talk about that. So we'll link to that in the show notes. His newest book, what we're going to talk about tonight, Be Great five principles to improve school culture from the inside out. Okay, Dwight, we're here with a live audience. We're going to jump right in. This recent book about school culture, I highlighted here for us from the inside out. And we want to know why you wrote the book and what you want educators to take from it. But I'm specifically curious about from the inside out
2: all right well first thank you for having me on the podcast it's good to see you guys again the reason why i highlight it from the inside out is because oftentimes when we think about culture and behaviors we often look out at what other people should be doing or not doing but we rarely take a reflective look and say okay how am i impacting the school culture so because i define culture how steve bowler defines it which is the norms beliefs traditions and behaviors that adults model on a consistent basis. So we think about culture in terms of students, but reality is the adults that create the culture. And that culture is defined by behavior. And that behavior that's accepted, be it positive or negative, will impact everything else around it. So culture is an influence. And so, you know, thinking about emotional intelligence and, you know, there's a huge emphasis on SEL. SEL has always been a part of education, but somebody just labeled it. So now if we think about from the inside out we look at those five competencies self-awareness self management relationship management responsible decision making and forget the fifth one so it'll come back to me but those five competencies truly are what's inside if you develop those skills over time you will in fact improve school culture
0: Dwight with this being such an important topic And we know there's also a lot of just going on in our systems, in our schools, with adults as well. I mean, we can't be remiss not talking about some of the struggles and some of the challenges we're facing, you know, as adults. With knowing that reality, knowing what we're trying to achieve in the culture, what are just some simple steps adults can take just out of the gate? Like you said, SEL has been around for a long time. we just really started doubling down on it, given the circumstances. But what are just some simple steps adults can take in the schools now to really start adjusting that culture for the positive?
2: First thing I would say is the first principle and Be Great, which is be gracious and show some gratitude, because gratitude has a direct impact on one's happiness. In reality, we have about 56,000 thoughts a day from the time we get up and the time we go to bed about 80% of those thoughts are in a negative loop. And so that impacts our mindset, which impacts our emotions and then impacts our behavior. So the best way to break that is to develop a practice of gratitude. It can be a gratitude journal, handwritten notes, thought or prayer or meditation, or as a token of appreciation to somebody. It doesn't have to be this large gesture either. It can be simply a quick text message or an email to a colleague that's really showed up for you or thanking your students for their behavior, or their performance, or just the way they're coming together. You can also thank your administration or administration. Definitely thank your teachers and all your staff members, but do it in tangible ways that are meaningful. And I would say be very specific when showing gratitude. The blanket, I appreciate what you do, has no impact whatsoever. In fact, it may have a negative impact, but if you specifically state why you're showing gratitude, why you're thankful for somebody, that'll go a long way, and it'll model the behavior that you like to see happen.
1: I'm racking my brain over here because we just talked to somebody at length about gratitude and specifically a book
0: about that. Was it Laney Royal? Yeah, yes. it was Lainey Royal and her evolving with gratitude. Yeah. Yep. You know her work?
2: Yeah, I contributed to one of the chapters.
1: I thought she said that yeah. when we interviewed her. Yeah. What does it mean to others to have gratitude, not just the way you express gratitude? Because I think she even mentioned your name and said, Dwight Carter expresses gratitude this way. Mm So-and-so expresses gratitude this way. It's knowing how to express gratitude. part.
2: Right. And two people benefit from that expression, the giver and the receiver. And so that's just like amplifying the influence just by, again, a simple practice of gratitude. And it's free. It's just, are you going to be intentional in doing it?
1: it's fantastic advice. It's simple. It's something everybody in the room can do, start to do more of and to build that gratitude habit, if you will, to make that part of our regular workday. I want to go back to something from the book that you start with what we can control. I think that's really important. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So I'm going to go back to one of the earlier books that I co-wrote with Mark White. We talked about hyperchange. And hyperchange is defined as change on top of change on top of change, but really not a lot of time in between to adjust. So we're bombarded with information. We're bombarded with high-level and low-level change. And we often look outside and are impacted by what's happening outside of us. Somebody else's behavior, a new initiative that comes down, poor student attendance, a need for substitutes. All those things then impact how we feel about the day. But the only two things we truly have control over are attitude and actions. That is all. Everything else may influence, but we can't control those two things. We can't control anybody else, nor can we control anything else. We can't control how we show up and how we behave. And that takes intentionality. So going back to those SEL competencies, first, in order to control your attitude and your actions, you have to have a high level of self-awareness. And that takes some vulnerability. And then you also have to have a high level of relationship management how you show for other people and how you interact and flex your style to get along with other people, not to be a doormat, but to be a doorway to a better
0: relationship. I love that, Dwight, not to be a doormat, but to be a doorway, because really what we're saying is when we control our actions and attitudes, and TJ and I talk about this all the time, you have to be able to have space in your life. The only way you really have that space is with the right attitude. Absolutely. Because like you said, we're getting bombarded. And when you were describing this one thing that, you know, despite all of the issues that you just mentioned that are real, we're in no way are we downplaying the reality of that. But without the right mindset, without the right attitude, you're not going to solve them. In fact, you're going to now be running around panicking, upsetting the apple cart even more. And I just, I appreciate you describing that and emphasizing what we can control, what's out of our control. And that way we know what we can really, you know, emphasize and make better for our staff, which impacts the kids. Yeah.
2: on what you just said, if you're running around putting out fires all the time, you're reacting to every situation. You're not responding. And trust me, as a school leader, how you react impacts everybody around you. Here's an example. As a school leader, if you're walking down the hall and you're frowning because you're thinking about something and a teacher sees that and they speak to you and just give them like a nonchalant wave and you keep on going, I guarantee they're going to tell at least three other people that, oh, the wife's in a bad mood today. You got to stay clear of him. It was unintentional, but the impact was huge. So you have to be able to control how you respond. I'm not saying be fake, but leadership does have responsibilities. So you have to be aware of those things. And if you ignore somebody because you're in a deep thought, Todd Whitaker says it this way. When the principal
0: sneezes, the whole building catches a cold.
2: That's influence. That's controlling your attitude and
0: your actions. Very well said. And I do appreciate you mentioning about, look, we're not talking about being fake. Don't yeah. adopt somebody else's personality. But do remember, you're setting the tone. Mm-hmm. You're setting the tone. And if somebody's having a bad day and they're coming to you or seeing you, you really have the opportunity to make a difference. In their day, you can steer them differently. And that is the mark of a great leader, being always in that space to positively affect individuals. Right. And allowing people to show up as they are, but making sure that their behavior
2: is now aligned to the values that the school has established.
1: So taking another step with that theme, allowing people to show up where they are, but also living the core value and the mission of the school. Can you talk to us about one of the concepts from the book, which is to be teachable? Why did you incorporate that? What does it mean? I think that might be the fifth principle.
2: Yeah, that's the fifth principle. So that wraps it up. So the principles, I want to go through those real quick. It's be grateful, be relational, be enthusiastic, be authentic, and be teachable. And they're not linear. It doesn't like one builds on another. They all mix together and they all are interrelated. But to be teachable means you're willing to learn. It means you have a humility to understand that I don't know everything. So again, in the rapidly changing times, one of the top skills that employers say is needed today is adaptability. So being teachable means I know I don't know everything. Let me explore. Let me ask questions and show some curiosity. There's no way you can be judgmental. So if you're non-judgmental, you're curious, you're asking questions you're looking for new and innovative ways to do things better, to positively impact those around you, especially the students, you have to be able to learn, like I said, and be willing to learn from various people, teachers, parents, learn from the students, take in as much information as possible, but reflect on that and determine, how can I take this information and apply it to my situation right now?
0: Dwight, I want to go down this road a little further, because I think when people say or hear like, oh, don't be judgmental, you know, as a leader, you're evaluating things constantly. There's a significant difference between evaluating what's going on based upon predetermined vision, mission, and goals, priorities, and being judgmental. Would you mind for a moment just distinguishing between the two? Because I think that's an important distinguish because we're always evaluating our schools, how well we're doing. And that is the mark of how effective we're being if we're able to practically assess what we're doing, how well we're doing it. But it's not being judgmental. And I think there's a clear distinction there. There's a very clear distinction. Being judgmental
2: means you start treating that person differently because of a flaw that you see or that you believe is there. Evaluative is giving constructive feedback, and there's a level of accountability. But accountability, I think, it gets a bad rap. It's not just a slap on the wrist. Accountability means coaching, feedback, again, asking questions, observation, connection, having conversations, and giving constructive criticism. It's constructive. So being judgmental, you're criticizing and you've already shut it down where you don't believe anything about that individual can improve. So when you start looking at the individual in a personal manner and condemning them mentally and then treating them differently, that's judgment. That'll never fly. And if you start judging people that report to you, that will have a huge negative impact on the culture. So that'll really diminish trust.
1: I think the critical part of that is the creation of a thought where then you continue to treat that person differently. Yes, we do need to treat everybody differently based on where they show up, like you said before. But if it's based on a preconceived judgment that you have of them, that's never going to be a positive relationship where you'll be able to influence or change the scenario that you are in or they're in or that you're in with them.
2: Right. And then you pretty much have a fixed mindset about that individual.
1: Yeah, that's not going to work, especially for people you supervise. Yeah. Dwight, I want to switch gears just a little bit, if you don't mind, and talk about some questions that we like to ask that our listeners get a ton from and that we find some themes from across all of the interviews that we've done. We've done this show for four seasons. Fourteen episodes. Of we're rounding out this season, so we're going to jump into some questions that we think are important for our leaders to hear from various perspectives. First one is: If you were going to improve the student experience in every school, what would you want to see done? And I'm sure you've given a lot of thought to that.
2: Yeah, man. Where do I begin? I would say one of the cornerstones of the profession is teaching, but I would shift it from focus less on teaching and more on learning. And by that, I mean, you're understanding where students are, how students connect with the information, how students are thinking critically, and includes a lot of feedback. When you focus on teaching, it's what you're doing as the adult, and the students receive that. When you focus on learning, is what are the students able to experience, and you're guiding them along the way. To do that, principals, administrators have to model that during staff meetings, during department meetings. So it has to be a model, so it's an expectation. It has to be constantly talked about. And that's a huge shift because our training, especially like Gen X teachers like myself and then boomers, you know, we were trained. You're the teacher, and a lot of the times you're doing a lot of the talking. Over time, you have to shift that thing, especially now because Generation Z, the tail end of it is in school. Now you have Generation Alpha. They're all about voice and choice experiences, and they have a small attention span. We all do. We all have a small attention span. So we have to capture their attention but also allow them to explore and be creative in their thought and make mistakes and fail. That's a learning process. So if we shift from teaching to learning, I think it'll have a huge impact. And then that jumps right into assessment and grading. That's a whole nother topic. That's a, you know, generation old conversation. But I'll look at that shift, but also look at
0: how are we grading and evaluating students. I was going to say, please, Dwight, don't get TJ started on that. <laughs> right. We won't leave tonight. We won't leave <laughs> Here all night. Sorry, you brought it up. The whole room, listened to me talk about that later. I'm 100% certain that's going to happen. I don't think we're having a professional conversation where grading doesn't come up. I want to highlight because you did mention this about the teaching and learning and the connection with administrators. Very much of our audience are new administrators, those that are in the field, principals and assistant principals. And I just had this conversation today with a building leader about not getting so concerned with your inputs. It's really, are the outputs there and are the outcomes being met? And Mm -hmm. it's no different in the classroom, but as the leader, that's really what we're after as well. We're not just doing things for the sake of doing them because I have to do an observation or I have to do lunch duty. Lunch duty is a great time to connect with kids, to get a pulse of the climate, what's going on, what's not. So I think all of that's critical. So I'm glad you made that important distinction because it's just as real for administrators.
2: Absolutely. And for the aspiring administrator who is an assistant principal, this is the fertile ground now to learn how to be a principal. So if you're connecting with your students, you're visible, you're making space and time for them, they will want you to be their principal because they know you, they have that relationship. And as an assistant principal, one of your most important jobs is to make your principal's job easier. By that, I mean do your job, do it extremely well, and then you can lead up. What I mean by leading up is you can guide, give perspective, be a sounding board, and also share ideas with your principal to lighten the principal's load. Then you develop like a mentor mentee relationship. If you solely focus on reacting to everything and like running in with like your hairs caught on fire, you're gonna show that you're just not quite ready to move to that next level. Also, you don't necessarily have to become a principal. If you wanna stay in an assistant principal role, more power to you. So don't always think you have to aspire to be a principal because everybody says you should, or that's the expectation. If you're in your wheelhouse and you're fulfilling and living your purpose as an assistant principal, do that, do it extremely well. I'll steal this from Glenn Robbins. He shared this with me at the AASA conference. This is Dwight, you can't out happy happy. If you're happy in your role professionally, you're aligned with your purpose, you're being teachable, you're showing gratitude, you have strong relationships. That's where you live. You get a lot of energy from that. You can't out happy, happy. I love that.
1: Let's uh, dive into a couple more questions here. We're going to link to your books. We're definitely going to link to Todd Whitaker with the quote you shared. I'm going to get the name of the person who you talked about for the definition of culture to make sure we link to that. Are there other resources for teaching, leading, learning that you love that you would share with the audience who's just going to go grab those?
2: Yeah, especially now where we are, the tail end of the school year, everybody's mentally tired, holding on by a thread, but also excited about the commencement ceremonies, regardless of the level. So it's like a fatigue, but also an excitement at the same time. So in line of gratitude, one of the books I would highly recommend is two of them, Because of a Teacher, Volume 1, and Because of a Teacher, Volume 2 written and co by George Kuros. And each book has a number of people who contributed to those books. So those books highlight educators who talk about the educators that influence them. So who is the teacher that influenced you the most? Who's the administrator that influenced you the most? And what advice would you give to your first year self? And those books are tearjerkers. It reminds you of your why. And then it reminds you why you continue to stay in the profession that you so dearly love. So I would highly recommend those two books. In terms of team leadership, team development, I have to give a shout out to my superintendent, Dr. Kim Miller. She is phenomenal at developing teams. One of the books that she has us reading is one of Patrick Lashoni's book, and it is phenomenal. Can't think of the name right now.
0: Is it The Advantage, right?
2: The Advantage, I highly recommend this. And we study this every single month. We do a chapter study, we do review questions, and every quarter we review the six main questions of highly healthy organizations. It's not just a book to talk about and put on the shelf. It's a book that we implement. And we know that those questions are coming up. And then our charge is to whatever we talk about in our executive team meetings or in whole administrative team meetings, the departments that we lead, we also talk about that same information. And so she's modeling it. She's expecting it. And she'll hold us accountable to that. So it's a great resource. And Patrick Lencioni is a phenomenal author. takes huge concepts and breaks them down into very easy, simple ways. But you still have to do the work.
0: Brilliant at that. The only reason I knew, and just give you a quick shout out, is that you presented at AASA. I was at your roundtable with Dr. Miller. You guys mentioned Pat Lencioni. I took copious notes, left there, and then also started embedding more of his work in my weekly memo to our administrators. It goes out to about 30 administrators weekly. He has a pretty cool one out there on his podcast, Being a Jerk with a Little J. Yeah, we use that often. Yeah. I yeah. love that one. I love it. It's a little, you know, in in education, we play with such delicate hands sometimes, so you got to be a little careful, but it's excellent on feedback and growth. Troy, just to kind of round us out, you got this new book. We're incredibly impressed with your work. Like TJ mentioned, we've had you on before. Is there something you wish somebody would write about?
2: I want someone to write about why are we so afraid of the word equity? What are we really afraid of? Nobody's losing anything. We're just creating opportunities for every student to have access to a high-quality education. And because a group or one group has an opportunity to experience equity, it doesn't mean something's taken away from the other group. There's this fear-mongering that's happening that is divisive and toxic, but it doesn't reflect the majority of the people. I think the edges and the fringes are having this conversation, and in the middle was the ones who are being impacted by that. Because the middle is being tugged back and forth, not knowing where to go. So that's where your core values really come into play, not only as an individual, but as an organization. So in a nutshell, I want somebody to write the book, Why Are We So Afraid of Equity?
1: a good one. I mean, we just actually talked to Doug Reeves about the amount of fear that leads way often in schools, both at the principalship and at the superintendent. I think even you mentioned Joe knows I'm going to bring it up, but grading assessment, there's fear there too. And we've got to talk about the fear first. And I wrote yeah. this down too, as you were talking, that it's not a zero sum game. Everybody stands to win. Yeah, we
2: live in a gray world. You know, we try to live in black and white extremes, especially as a school leader. I learned that from my co-author friend and mentor, Mark White. That's the first thing he taught me as an assistant principal. He's like, Dwight, live in the gray because there's nuances to everything. You have your policies, you have your guidelines, you have your handbook rules. There's nuance to everything. So you got to live in the gray and slow down. Take your time before making a decision. I can give you story after story of when I reacted very quickly I didn't respond appropriately and had to do a lot of backup and clean up. And he had to come in and clean up, too, as my mentor and principal. But he also held me accountable, but he didn't judge me for it. He used it as a teaching and learning opportunity. Maybe that's something we can write about, too, is living in the grade as a school leader or as an educator.
0: Yeah, I love that. That is a phrase I use as well. You got to learn to live in the gray, mainly because, and Fullen talks about this quite a bit, you can't mandate what matters and you can't policy best practice. Not at all. We want that because it adds clarity, but the clarity comes from our willingness to deal with the nuances, So understand really what's going on. And you'll find the clarity you're seeking by being curious and truly trying to solve the problem yeah. rather than make it go away.
2: Absolutely. That goes back to the second book Mark White and I wrote, which was Leading Schools in Disruptive Time. We talk about a framework. It's called CAT, Cope, Adjust, and Transform. When something bad happens, because it's going to, you have to cope with it, meaning take it all in, understand what's happening. That happens like usually in the first 24 to 48 hours. Then you adjust your practices, policies, procedures. That's usually the three, four weeks afterwards, after you reflect on how you cope with it. And then you go into the transformation, which is now changing your thinking and changing the practice, but that you're looking at six months, one year, two years out. So it's a long process, but that's where it's so nuanced and living in the gray in that area, because we never know. We have a full agenda each day. That agenda can go by the wayside in a heartbeat. You have to adjust.
1: Profound and a great place to end. Cope, just, and transform. It takes time, but we're all responsible for that. Dwight, this has been great. I've got copious notes here, tons of quotes. Is there anything else that you would like to add, a question we didn't ask, a request of the audience as we come to a quote?
2: I'm truly grateful for the platform to have the conversation, talk with other educational leaders, and keep the conversation going about like the positive things that are happening in education. We're doing great work. Yes, we have challenges, but every industry does. We have to control the, the narrative by telling the positive things that are happening in our schools, in our school community, at school events. Like We have to take control of that and not be afraid to share the positives. I think your platform is a great way for that to happen as well.
1: Well, we thank you for that. This has been fantastic. You heard it here, folks, on Focus Ed, Be great be grateful, five principles. Let's change the narrative. Dwight Carter, everyone. How about a virtual and live round of applause from our audience? Appreciate it. We ask you not to forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back with another episode of Focus Ed. one more this season. Until then, stay focused.
0: Hey, leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time, and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home.
1: Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful, and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.